Hey, this is Megan from Arizona. Um, I don't have a story. I just wanted to call and say that I'm a huge fan of the show. I really love it. And I'm super excited for season two. So keep up the good work. I'll be listening. Thank you. Bye. Good evening and welcome to the second season of Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. I'm excited to get season two rolling. I have some great stories lined up and I can't wait to share them with you. But before we get too far into that, if you've had an encounter and would like to share it with the world, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's one 1- 888-608-6444 or feel free to submit anonymously through the report your story tab on the website which is www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com or of course you can send me an email directly at herethebemonsterspodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com don't forget every 13th caller gets a free Here There Be Monsters podcast t-shirt so don't miss out on that Speaking of the t-shirts, as promised, they will be for sale on the webpage shortly. They are scheduled to be printed this weekend, and once I've received the shipment, they will be available. Alright, enough of all that. I know why you tuned in, so let's get to it. Our first call of the season is an out-of-this-world experience from the state of Indiana. Hi, my name is David. Um, This story takes place uh, when I was probably, I don't know, sometime in elementary school, maybe 10 to 12 years old. I can't remember exactly. Um, My dad took myself and my best friend at the time, Nathan, to um, Indiana um, Dunes, or Indiana Beach, I'm sorry, uh, which is kind of like a poor person's uh, Six Flags Great America or Cedar Point, uh, this amusement park in Indiana. And um, so we went there, and it was a fun day. You know, we went on just a ton of rides and ate, 
elephant ears and all the kind of stuff you would do at a, an amusement park. And then that night, we went um, camping. And I believe it was my first time camping. And it was at a campground, you know, um, not wilderness like whatsoever. Um, very structured and manicured lawns and campsites every, you know, 30 feet from each other and spots for RVs and everything. And it's, you know, the middle of summer, so there is a lot of traffic and a lot of people there. And um, we set up the tent and have some food, and uh, it gets to be nighttime, and we go to bed. And I'm lying in the tent trying to fall asleep um, with my dad and my best friend, you know, a three- or four-person tent, and we're all in there together. And uh, I'm lying there trying to fall asleep, and sleep's coming kind of slowly, and I can still, you know, with my eyes closed, feel the motion of the rides kind of swaying me back and forth on the solid ground. And eventually I do fall asleep. And at some point in the night, I wake up, and um, I don't remember. I think it was firelight from a fairly nearby um, pair of other campers. It's kind of flickering on the tent wall, and um, I see this shadow cast against the tent wall, and it looks just like you know your classic um, gray alien, big head, very thin, short body. Um, thin arms and legs and um, it's on the side of our tent wall and I'm the only one awake and the only one seeing it and it kind of slowly moves around the outside of the tent and I can see its shadow for the most part as it moves around and I'm just terrified <laughs> and so um, I wake up my dad and uh, wake up my best friend as I'm waking up my father and by the time they're awake and, you know, awake enough to um, understand what I'm raving about, the shadow's gone. And the um, the alien, which is what I think, you know, it might have been, I have no idea what it really was, um, is no longer there. And I'm terrified, so I have my dad go out and check around and, you know, look for it. And so he unzips the tent and goes out and does a little perimeter sweep, sweep of our campsite. And he doesn't find every, anything, of course. And, um, you know, he tells me, look, um, there's still campers all around us and a lot of them are still awake. And I kind of poke my head out and I see, you know, a few campsites down, people around a campfire talking, enjoying a beer or whatever. And, um, it made me feel a lot better to know that there were other people around. And then I started thinking maybe it was, you know, a fellow camper just messing with us. Uh, it could have been a dream. It could have been an alien. It could have been a fellow camper messing with us. I have no idea to this day. I, I really um, uh, enjoy remembering this uh, event. <laughs> and uh, I hope you all enjoyed it, too. Thanks. Thank you, David. Many of us are haunted by childhood memories of particular events. Oftentimes, the actual details of those events fade and distort over time. The same can be said for this story. If I were pressed to come up with a logical explanation for what David saw, I'd have to say that it's highly possible that someone wandered into their campsite, perhaps mistaking it for their own, 
stood there a moment trying to assess the situation, but ran once David began waking the others in his tent. How do you explain the alien-like appearance? If you imagine a tent wall, you will notice it slopes in toward the top. So if a shadow was cast upon said tent wall, it would be distorted, possibly making the head appear larger and therefore giving the shadow a more alien-like appearance. Now, not being one to easily rule out a paranormal encounter, I did a little digging on the MUFON website and found a similar encounter a mere 100 miles away in Greenwood, Indiana. The encounter took place at 5.30 a.m. on October 19, 2010, and it went as follows. Last night I was having a difficult time sleeping, and after I drifted off for a while, I woke about 5.25 a.m. and realized I didn't take the trash out the night before. So I gathered my shoes and jacket, headed outside to take the trash to the curb. For some reason, I had this really uneasy feeling, but I ignored it. After taking the trash out, I went to the front porch to smoke a cigarette. As I walked out, I stood there. I saw movement out of my peripheral and immediately looked in that area. I couldn't believe my eyes, because it looked like an alien gray was trying to sneak across the street unnoticed. I even walked off the porch to see it more, and it had to be hiding. No trace of it anymore. I finished my cigarette quickly and went back inside. This looked like the classic gray alien. The skin looked gray and it had no clothes. There is a streetlight right in its path it took to go across the road. Another interesting fact is that its stride was different than what a human would look like. So at least one other person in that general area witnessed something similar to what David had saw. This is by no means concrete proof, but it does lend credence to his encounter. Thank you again, David, for sharing your story. Next up is a collection of odd encounters in the bottom of the world, over in New Zealand. I've had a few paranormal experiences, and I've thought about whether or not I should share this particular story, as it's about my grandfather's passing. But I guess it might be interesting to the other listeners. When I was 14 years old, my grandfather passed away. I was visiting my dad in Asia on my school holiday from New Zealand. It was about 2 a.m., and I woke up to an unusual, for that time of year, stifling hot room and strong smell of cigarette smoke. Bizarre because my dad wasn't a smoker. I got up and walked around the house trying to find the smell but couldn't. So I switched on the AC unit in my room to try to get rid of the smell and cool everything down. But my dad came into the room and switched my air conditioner off telling me that I didn't need it on. I asked him if he could smell smoke and he said no and turned around and went back to his room. So I ignored him and switched my air conditioner back on, 
and he came back in and switched it off. My dad was never the type to care if I had my air conditioning on or whatever is going on, so it was kind of weird to me. It turned out that that night, around that time, my papa had passed away back in New Zealand. After telling my mom that dad had acted weird about my air conditioner, she told me that my dad was scared because my papa's spirit had visited my dad, sat on my dad's bed next to him, and touched my dad's leg. Not knowing how to explain what he saw, he felt weird and wanted to check that I was okay. Fast forward a couple more weeks after my papa's funeral, my dad had gone back to Asia, I was back home in New Zealand, and one afternoon I was sitting in our study on the computer, and I had this feeling like someone was standing to my left. So I looked in that direction and saw my grandfather walk out of my bedroom and into an obscure corner of my hallway. He didn't look transparent, but he looked unwell. His skin was very pale and his lips were bluish. He was wearing his favorite PJs and favorite cardigan with a hole in one elbow. He didn't look at me, just straight ahead, so I saw his left profile. This scared the shit out of me. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed with fear. Eventually, I just told myself to get up and run, so I made a break for it and ran downstairs to my mom and told her what I'd seen. My mother is a very spiritual person. She just smiled and told me not to be afraid. That she had just seen him walk down the hallway wearing the same PJs and cardigan, but she couldn't see his face. She told me that it was his way of saying goodbye to us. I remember feeling comforted that she had seen him too, but more so wishing that he didn't show himself to me. Ten years later, at 24, I had been living in my grandparents' house after my grandmother had passed away. One night I had a very vivid dream. I was in a park with the most green-leaved trees and perfect super green grass. I was just looking around at the trees and then, then a bench was now in front of me. I looked up and my grandfather was on the other side of the table, looking very well. He had that same cardigan on but nice daytime clothes. He had color in his skin and a smile on his face. We looked at each other and he started waving and saying, Goodbye, my darling. At that point, I felt myself being pulled away from the bench, and I woke up. I'd like to think this was his way of showing me that he was now okay and at peace. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you, Natalia. Ties with loved ones can be extremely strong. Strong enough to bridge the gap between life and death. I was incredibly close with my grandmother. She passed nearly three years ago, and to this day I still have extremely vivid dreams about her. Dreams in which she delivers messages, or relays stories, and happily greets me hello. Now it seems your experiences are a bit more tangible than that. Events that are real, measurable, and undeniable. Try not to see your experiences as frightening, but rather as messages from him to you. At the very least, 
that will help you get to sleep at night. Thank you again for sharing your experiences. Our next submission was so terrifying it has inspired a caller to create a short film based on his story. Yeah, uh, I have a really uh, scary story regarding the black-eyed children. Um, I'm actually making a short film about them uh, approximately in two weeks. Uh, But anyways, um, this story comes from a relative. I'm not going to mention their name. But um, they seen a black-eyed child at their workplace, and it said that they show up at either your workplace or... If you're working alone, they'll show up at odd places like that. So anyways, uh, this woman, she works as a health clerk at a school, um, basically a nurse, uh, and they'll move them to different areas to check lice. So there'll be multiple nurses checking multiple children of lice in uh, in different schools. So she was at a different school that she usually works at, and she was checking kids for lice, and they're usually in lines in front of them. There's about, like, five nurses, and she was one of them. And they would come up, check their lice, and they would leave if they didn't have any. So her line was empty, and then uh, this kid walks straight up to her, doesn't look at her. He's face down, and uh, she notices his skin is pale, and his hair is, like, really black. And she's like, okay... She looks around and she's like, okay, no one's noticing this kid. He just walked up to me. He has a weird vibe to him, really unsettling. So she tells him, okay, come up. Let me check your head. Let me check for lice. And he doesn't do nothing. He looks straight up at her face and he has pitch black eyes. Like, no, like everything's black. Like, the whole eye. And so she, like steps back and kind of freaks out and she looks around and notices people still don't notice him like she's the only one noticing him and then he was just staring at her with the black eyes i showed her a photo that was from la marzuli's documentary about the black eyed children in watchers five i believe and she freaked out she was like yep that's it that's the kid so yeah after that she has blurred memories of what happened but she's never seen one again she's uh been pretty freaked out. We've all, we've also seen uh, shadow people as well um, around the house, and we made a short film about that as well. If anyone else wants to see those short films, they'll be at Rem Sleep Chant on YouTube. R E M Sleep Chant, uh, or you can find my Facebook page uh, Kyle J Macias to find visuals of these creepy stories. All right, well that's my creepy story. Bye bye. Thank you, Kyle. I will also post a link to his page in the show notes for today's episode. My rounded explanation for what Kyle's relative experienced is simple. 
you can buy a pair of black contact lenses on the internet for next to nothing. It's entirely possible this young man purchased the lenses and decided to play a trick on his unsuspecting school nurse. Something similar actually happened to me when I was in fourth grade. Back in those days, we would hold an annual Halloween party at school. After lunchtime, we'd all put on our costumes and do some sort of activity like bobbing for apples or telling ghost stories. Well, this particular year, I was going as a vampire, so it required me to cover my face in white makeup to make my skin appear more gaunt and pale. After adjusting my makeup to the perfect look in the restroom, I returned to my class down a long hallway. About halfway to my destination, I was stopped by a school administrator whom insisted that I looked terribly pale and therefore most likely ill. It took me a full minute to explain that the look was simply a Halloween costume and that my mother did not need to be called. The point of this being that it is easy to make a mistake or fall for a simple prop or disguise. Now the black eyed kid phenomenon exploded on the scene back in 1998 through online posts written by a Texas reporter named Brian Bethel. It didn't take long for people across the country to chime in with their very own encounters many seemingly to originate from Texas and the surrounding Plain states. As for the encounter Kyle spoke of, I do find it a bit odd that no one seemed to notice the strange child. Were they simply too busy to notice, or was there something more sinister afoot? Thank you again, Kyle, for submitting, and if any of you have a chance, check out his films. I watched the Shadow Person film entitled the non-human, and I must say, it is quite creepy. Our final story of the evening is strange to say the least, but at its core touches on a phobia as old as humanity itself. I thought I would send this in. I never spoke to anyone about this until a few months ago when I posted it on Reddit, hoping to find someone else with the same experience. I don't know if this is paranormal, but it definitely wasn't normal. I was probably eight or nine when this happened. I lived in a very small two-bedroom house. My brother and I had bunk beds, large, heavy, solid wood beds with a lip on the bottom bunk that only gave about four to six inches between the bottom of the lip and the floor. Past the lip was about 18 inches from the floor to the bottom of the bed, which was just generously spaced out wooden planks with the mattress exposed. The top bed was actually very high up. My dad had to make a ladder for me to climb up to sleep. I would say it was at least six feet. Right next to the bed, along where your head would be, was a large, rectangular wicker basket that held old toys. And on top of it was my brother's large speakers, and this large stereo on top of both of them. The comforter on his bed was a large, thick red and black blanket. I will get back to that in a minute. I remember I had decided to take a nap in the middle of the day. I don't remember how long I was laying down or my dreams, but when I woke up, it was pitch black. My voice seemed hollow and 
had a slight reverb, like the sound only had a few inches to travel. It was very hot. I only had a few inches on either side of my arms. My feet and head were both touching hard surfaces. And honestly, the only thing going through my head was that I was stuck in a coffin. I screamed and cried, pressing every direction, but I couldn't move. And after a few minutes, I gave up and just kept crying. And all of a sudden, a tinted red light began filtering in a little at a time. And I reached for it, finding out it was that stupid red and black comforter. I was somehow under the bed. Now, here's what I don't get. The bed was almost too heavy for a grown man to lift, let alone an eight-year-old boy. And there was no way I could crawl under it with only four to six inches of space from the floor to the lip. If I fell off the bed and somehow got under it, how did I not hit my head on the speakers and knock them all over? Why was there no light for at least five minutes? And why was everywhere I touched solid? When to my left was just a blanket, and above me was a soft mattress. Why did no one in a house full of people hear me screaming for five full minutes? I finally got my dad's attention by kicking the door I could reach with my foot. I kicked repeatedly until he came inside the house. Now, I know this didn't have anything to do with spaceships, shadows, chupacabra, etc., but I've ran this through my head a million times, and even now, 20-plus years later, I know I was in a coffin. Thank you for submitting. The very thought of live burial is a terrifying concept. It was so feared in years past that many devices were invented to prevent it. In fact, the term graveyard shift was coined from just such an invention. The safety coffin was a coffin fitted with a series of strings that would attach to the body held within. If for some reason the person came to after being buried beneath six feet of dirt, the string would pull and ring a bell affixed at the surface. Since a cemetery gets limited activity at night, a person was hired to sit and listen for the ringing of the safety coffin bell. That shift was coined, you guessed it, the graveyard shift. To go even further... If one working the graveyard shift actually found someone to be alive, they were referred to as a dead ringer. Now, of course, none of that has anything to do with the submitter's story, but I find it too fascinating not to share. So to get back to the story at hand, how did this person get under the bed? They already explained that it was near impossible for them to fall out and wriggle their way inside. I could offer up a hundred otherworldly explanations. But the truth is, we don't know. So either way, it does make for a chilling and terrifying concept. So thank you again for sharing your encounter. And that does it for this episode of Here There Be Monsters podcast. But before I go, I want to make mention that an anonymous tipster identified the man in the wall story from episode 20 of season 1 
as a story from Creepypasta. I was disappointed to hear that for two reasons. One, I like to think that the story actually happened. And two, that people are submitting fictional stories. So I ask, please keep the stories factual. If you have a great fictional story, I have a spot for you coming up in October. So just hold on to them. Thank you to that tipster for keeping the show honest. Please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes. The reviews have been pouring in lately and I absolutely love it. Lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature1986. Alright folks, that does it for this episode of Here There Be Monsters Podcast. Thank you all for listening and until next week.